Okay, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And we are going to start reading the last portion of the book of Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. So, it says, Joseph stayed in Egypt, (coughs) he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. So this is 54 years after the death of his father Jacob. <clears throat> and at this time, the pressures upon them as, as a group of people were becoming heavier. And we'll look at that uh, a little bit later. But uh, um, you can say, well, why didn't he leave? Why didn't they leave? Because this is a long time after the famine. So it's 54, 64. It's 68 66 years, 66 years after the famine has ended. Well, why didn't they go back into the land of Canaan? Well, they weren't ready to go back. The reason that God took them out of the land of Canaan is because they were starting to mix with the people there in the land of Canaan. Remember, Judah had married a a Canaanite woman, and we only have the reference of Judah's life. The other brothers may well have been mixing as well. So God got them out of there. And upon their return, they're going to go in conquest. But they have to become a nation first. So if you look in chapter 46, when God sent them down there, he said to Jacob, in chapter 46, verse 3, he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, and I will make you a great nation there. So they need to become a nation. They're not a nation yet. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. So, God is going to be the one to bring them out of there. They're going to be there from the time that Jacob came into Egypt to the time that he's going to leave is 215 years. 215 years, and it's been, it's been uh, uh, about, about 68, 66 years since they've been in Egypt. So there's still more time to go. They're going to come out... 600,000 strong of men 20 years old and up, upward. That's how many people, that's how fast their growth is going to be. And <clears throat> demographers have looked over the growth, knowing that there were 12 brothers that came in and the household with them and looked over the growth and said, indeed, that was very rapid growth. If they had been in Egypt 400 years, and we've talked about how that is not the case, they were not in Egypt that 400-year reference is from the time that Isaac was undergoing persecution as a child at the age of five. If it had been over a period of 400 years, that growth would not have been that rapid. 
it would not have been that rapid if it had been over a 400-year period. <clears throat> so, it says, Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh. This is in, in chapter 50, verse 23. <clears throat> they were born on Joseph's knees. This is alerting us that Joseph had a family and he was able to see multiple generations of his family. God was good to Joseph. Joseph came in as a slave. He was a prisoner. And now he was in a family. <clears throat> you know, there's these texts that in Psalm 68, Psalm 68, verse 6, in the NIV puts it this way. Psalm 68, verse 6. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. <clears throat> God sets the lonely in families. This is a beautiful verse. He sets the lonely in families. You know, if you're lonely, He sets the lonely in families. That's what He does. You may say, well, I don't have a family. Well, Jesus actually corrects that. Jesus actually talks about that. He said, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 28, Peter said, Behold, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said, Truly I say to you, there is one, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. If you don't have a family, I urge you to get into the body of Christ and become a member of a local church. I urge you to do that. Because when you really get plugged into a church, you have a family. We have moved many times during, my, during our married life together. And the first thing that we've always done when we've come into a city, the first job is to search out a local church. And we usually go searching this before we ever get into that city. And generally, we will find a local church within four weeks. So we'll do it rather quickly. And we always got plugged in quickly because we wanted our children to never get out of the habit of going to church, of having the body of Christ. Because when you get involved in the body of Christ, there is so much security and so much blessing that becomes like a family. I think within three weeks of the time that we moved to Houston... We had joined this church, and we didn't hang out in the church for a year before we joined. We joined immediately. So we, we checked out the church one time, and then the second week, and we were talking about it as a family. And my children, my oldest daughter was 15, the next one was 12, and then the two boys were younger. And those are hard ages to move. And my daughters said to me, because they went to, to uh, their... their uh, their youth class, and there was this tremendous youth pastor that they really liked. He was a, a tall, skinny guy. His name was Roger Patterson. And, and uh, uh, they really liked him, and they said, they said, Dad, can't we just stay here? Why do we have to go check out other churches? And if my teenage daughters were happy, <laughs> I was happy. And uh, uh, then there's going to be peace in the home. And, and uh, uh, it was very important to us as a family to get knit in, and we got knit in immediately. People were inviting us to dinner, and, and uh, uh, my kids had friends immediately. It is a sad thing when we don't get knit into a local church quickly, quickly, because we exclude ourselves from the family of the body of Christ. 
And it, it was, it's a tremendous thing to do that. God sets the lonely in families. He does that. He did that with Joseph. Verse 24 of, of, of Genesis chapter 50, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph was different than the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them had physical appearances of God to them, either in dreams and or in visions, where they're a, a vision is, is when you're awake. A dream is when you're asleep. That's the difference. And they had multiple visions of this, multiple dreams. Joseph was more like us. He didn't have that. Yet he held on fast to the promise that God had given him. He held on fast to the promise that God had given to his forefathers. The word of God meant something to him. The scriptures meant something to him in that there were not physical scriptures yet, but the word that was being passed down meant something to him. He could bank upon that word without ever having a vision or a dream about God, speaking to him personally. And so, if you, if you look over in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, you'll see the first call to Abraham Even his name at this point was Abram about the land in verse 7. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared. The Lord appeared. That means you see him. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. He said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. So on the first call where he designated the land, it wasn't to Abram. It was to Abram's descendants. But then we go to Genesis chapter 13. And verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. Verse 17, arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. So now in in chapter 13, the promise is for Abram and his children and his descendants. That's the promise. But it comes to Abram in that way. This, this comes to Abram again. If you look in chapter 15, look in chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, reading from verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Verse 18 of chapter 15. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So, what he's speaking of is, ultimately, this is going to be the inheritance. From the river of Egypt, which is not the Nile. Remember, the Nile runs south to north, spills into the Mediterranean. It it diverts into five rivers just before it spills in. The eastmost river is where... Joseph is where the children of Israel are at that moment. They are in Goshen, just east of the eastmost river. That's the river of Egypt that he's talking about in the Nile Delta. So formally, they are in the land already. As they're in Egypt, they are in the land that will be part of their land, ultimately in the Messianic kingdom. It's not given to them now, but that's the fulfillment. It's going to be from that river in Egypt all the way to the Euphrates, which is in current-day Iraq. 
That's going to be their designated land. And that's what he said in that promise. So this is Joseph is holding on to these promises. Then if you look in Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, was the promise, promise to Isaac. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And then came in verse 28, verse 13. In verse 28, verse 13 came the promise to Jacob. Chapter 28, verse 13 of the book of Genesis. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. So there is the promise that was given to Jacob. Now look in chapter 35. Chapter 35 of the book of Genesis. The promise comes again. Chapter 35, verse 12. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. So he was holding on to the promise. The word of God meant something to him. The word of God means something to him. Because a promise was given to Abraham. Confirmed to Isaac. Confirmed to Jacob. That is something that now Joseph is banking upon. That means something to Joseph. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 22, the whole chapter of the men and women of faith, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 22, by faith Joseph when he was dying made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. It was by faith he made mention of the exodus. He said we're going to be pulling out of this land at some point. He made mention of it, and it was by faith. It was by faith that he did that. It is by faith that we hold on to the promises. We hold on to these promises. And and uh, uh, we have to learn how to hold on to these promises. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, is a powerful verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If we have hoped in Christ, in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So if we only believe in what Jesus has said, for this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That means it's better to have not believed him at all than to believe him only in this life. Because he said, you're worse off than anything if you've only believed him in this life. So you're better off not believing him at all. For this life or for the afterlife, if you're not going to leave, believe him for both. That's what is written there. That's what it says. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we have all men most to be pitied. We hope in Christ not just for where we are right now, but for the hope that is to come. We hope in Christ for the hope that is to come. Where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not the case, I wouldn't have said this. He said, I'm telling you this because it's true. I'm preparing a place for you. You're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit at the table in the kingdom of God. This is the promises that have been given to us. If we do not hope for Jesus in the next life, we are all men most to be pitied. And what does it do? Look at this amazing confidence that Joseph has in... in, in, uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you will carry my bones up out of here. God will surely, surely take care of you. 
So if you look up in verse 24, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely. God will. When it says God will, it has to happen. When the Bible says God's will, or when God says I will, it has to happen. It can't stop from happening. Remember, heaven and earth will move. Everything will change. No man, no woman can stand in the way of that happening. When God says it will happen. God will do this, and he will surely do it, Joseph says. And then he, he says, uh, uh, in verse 24 also, it says, He promised an oath to Abraham. He didn't have to take an oath to Abraham, but he did this to identify with Abraham. He promised an oath. He said, I'm going to do this for sure, Abraham. You can just rest on this. Then he goes on, in verse 25, he says, God will surely carry will surely take care of you. He will surely do this. There is tremendous comfort in this, tremendous comfort that comes to us in this. When he says, God will surely do this, there's this enormous confidence. Look in in the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. It says, For thus the, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, He said... In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. In quietness and trust is your strength. In quietness and in trust is your strength. The King James says, In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Your strength comes in quietness and confidence in what the Word of God says. And then the next verse, in in the next part of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 says, And ye would not but ye would not have it. So we have the choice to walk in quietness and in confidence of the Word of God or not walk in it. There's a choice set before us. Joseph knew what it was to rely in quietness and in peace and in confidence in the Word of God. He knew what that was like to do. That's what he did. I want you to turn over to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Book of Hebrews chapter 4. I mean, this is this is just... So amazing, so amazing, the things that are, that are promised to us uh, in, in the Scriptures, in the Word of God about this, and how he, he tells us what's going to happen as a result. So he says, he says uh, if we look in, let's look in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Take care, brethren that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another, day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he warns them, he says, you're not going to enter my rest, in, in verse 11 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. Then in verse 12 he says, take care, brethren. That means he's speaking to believers. Be careful, believers. Take care, brethren that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Our hearts are desperately sick above all else. Who can understand it? It says in, in, in Jeremiah. The heart of man is desperately sick. We need each other. Because what happens is a little doubt comes in. And little by little, even over a one-week period, we feel ourselves getting distant from God. When I feel myself getting distant from God, you know what I do? I spend concerted time in prayer. Concerted time in the Word of God and concerted time in prayer. 
because my heart is desperately sick. Concerted time in prayer. Fasting will do you well also. Concerted time with the Lord that you, 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 you move toward this. And he says, we need each other. We need each other. We don't try to start pulling away from the body of Christ when you start feeling those distant times from the Lord. You need to be with the body of Christ so you can be encouraged. And he says, look down in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. There is a rest in God. And if we do not believe Him, if we hope in Christ in this life only and don't trust Him for what's hereafter, there is tremendous stirring in our lives. Tremendous unrest. Now let's look in chapter 4 of Hebrews, reading from verse 1. Therefore, let us fear. You know what that means? Fear God. Let us fear. Alright? We are to fear God. Let us fear. If, while a promise remains of entering His rest any one of you may seem to have come short of it. There is a promise that God has given us to be able to enter His rest, to be like Joseph. Joseph had perfect peace. He didn't know the year that they would be going out of Egypt. But he said, we're going to go out, you can bank on it, and God will take care of you, and He will lead us on out of here, and bring my bones with me when you go. And the Bible reports that Moses brought the bones, and so they were set in a wooden when they were embalmed in Egypt, and you can go all over the world and you see in lots of natural history museums, you see these mummies that have come out of Egypt. And you see, it's always in a wooden box, and you see that the, the mummies are in there. And this was, he was in there. You see the, these, these embalmed bodies. Were, were, that's, how, that's how they were kept, these embalmed bodies. And so you see that... that um, uh, they carried him out. Moses. It's reported that Moses carried him out in, in the book of Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. In the book of Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, it reports that Joshua buried him in just outside Shechem in that plot of land that his father Jacob had bought from Hamer, the, the, the father of Shechem. In that plot of land. That's where he was buried and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. He had perfect peace that this was going to happen. When we do not trust God, there is a lack of peace. And it says it right here. And he says, he says, uh, there's a promise that remains of entering his rest, lest, lest any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 4. For indeed we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. If we do not unite the Word of God by faith, when we hear it, we don't appropriate it. We don't have it. It must be united by faith. We cannot just say, well, God's going to have to do that. No, it has to be coupled to my faith. God will do it. God will do it. I can rest because God will do it. As you look over society, as you look over the country... And, and uh, for you young people, let me just say, you are going to care a lot more about society and your community when you have children. The day you have a child, you will really start caring about the school systems. 
you'll really start caring about the local government and the neighborhood in which you live. When you're a college student, you're like, what's the big deal? It'll be all right. But when you, the day you have a child, your focus will start to change. And then you'll really start caring about your community, the community government, the way things are running, the police department in your community. You'll really start caring when you start having children. The Bible says, learn to rest in the protection and the blessing of God. Learn to put your hands on your child and pray the covering of the blood of Jesus over them, the protection of the blood of Jesus over them. That you take the Word of God and you appropriate that in your life and and in the lives of the ones that you have responsibility for. It is so important to do this, that you appropriate the Word of God. In verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 4, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Boom! His works are finished from the foundation of the world. Remember I told you, you cannot stop God's will from happening. It's already pre-planned. Hallelujah. Amen. We have a little bit of, of jiggle, jiggling that we can do with our free will. But His will is overarching. We can't stop His overall plan. No way. He knows the entire chessboard and millions of plays ahead of us for any move that we might make, that he's going to funnel us right into his will. And this has been defined. This has been predestined. We have a little bit of of wiggle room with what we can do with our own lives, but ultimately it's not going to stop his will from coming about. And it it says that his works were finished from the foundation of the world. That's what Joseph was resting on. It's done. God will surely, he said. God will surely. I am absolutely sure of this. God is going to do this. If we have hoped in Christ, in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. This whole thing is defined. And you know what that does? It brings rest. It brings rest. It brings peace. I don't know what's happening with the government. I don't know what's happening with the bailouts. I don't know what's happening with... Two trillion dollars, you know, it's just like it's nothing. Two trillion dollars. I mean, somebody's going to have to pay that thing back. And you pay it back like more than twice over. I don't know what's going to happen. But Lord, I don't, I'm not going to live here forever. My rest is in you. My rest is in you. Do you see the peace that is available to us? But if we do not appropriate this by faith, if there is unbelief, then all of this has been said to no avail in our lives. Look in in verse 4 again of Hebrews chapter 4. For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, 
today saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is a rest of God that he has for us. There is a rest of God that he has for us that we we can just take hold of because of his great blessing. Let's turn over to the, the book of Romans, the book of Romans, and let's look in Romans chapter chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And again, you see the same concept in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 3. Romans chapter... Th- I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what God does, the, for, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned, it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We were just reading in Roman, in, in, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12. We were just reading about the initial promises to Abraham. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, it tells us just this. It talks about how God, he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This is exactly what it tells us about, about, uh, um, about Abraham, that he believed God because he believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. This is what came to him because he believed God. And that's what's quoted right here in Romans. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. God justifies the ungodly. This is why I love this faith. Faith. This is why I love the gospel. Because it is for the ungodly. It is for the ungodly. It is for me. If you are godly, this word, this gospel of Jesus Christ is not for you. You go find your salvation somewhere else. Christ died for the ungodly, the scriptures say. Christ died while we were yet sinners, the scriptures say. Christ died for the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. And I say, Amen, Lord. That's me. You justify the ungodly. And he says, all this happened because of Abraham's belief. He believed. How we must believe his word. This is exactly what Joseph did. He believed the word of God. He believed that this was true. And then they took Joseph's body. And it says in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 50. Joseph died at the age of 110 years and was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. And that's it. That's where the book of Genesis ends. The book of Genesis ends in death. And it stops right there. We see nothing of, of, uh, um, of mourning, no 70 days of mourning that the Egyptians normally do. We see nothing of that. You can see that the tides have changed over the past 54 years from the time that, that Jacob died to the time that Joseph died. The feelings toward the Jewish people changed. And it's only going to be about another 60 or 80 years before, Ab- before uh, Moses is born. And at that time, there was full-on genocide where they were throwing the male children into the Nile to drown them. And so, so um, you see this change. And this is where the book of Genesis ends. It starts out with life and God creating life. And it ends because of the sin of people. It ends in death. 
The next book is going to take off where they start coming out. But uh, uh, we will probably be studying something different starting next week. But this is, this, is, this is where we end. We have studied this whole book of Genesis. I don't know how long it's been. Several years. I don't know. Two and a half years? Three years? Something like that. That we've been going through the book of Genesis. It's all online. You can get all the, the old, the old uh, uh, messages that I've preached. It's, it's on my website, jmtour.com. But anyway, um, uh, this is a beautiful word. I urge you, I urge you to believe every word in this book, every word in this book, because it is true. Everything that God has said is going to come to pass. Everything will come to pass. And, and uh, you'll hear people with their higher criticism and all their knowledge. And you know what's going to happen? They will die and be buried, and this book and its word will remain. It will remain. This book will remain. Hold fast to it, or you know what will happen? You'll have no rest, and you'll be worse off than if you hadn't believed in Jesus at all. To only believe in Him, only believe this in this life only. This is for this life and in the life to come. He will take care of us. He will take care of our families. He'll take care of our lives. He will take care of us. And you know what that does? It lowers our blood pressure and it gives us peace. Come what may, it gives us peace. That God will take care of us. That's the promise. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, blessed Jesus, glory be to you. You have mapped all of this out, Lord Jesus. You are the best in every way. Father, glorify your Son, I pray. Glorify Him in our lives. Raise our faith, lest we come short and we not enter the rest that you have for us. Father, I pray. I pray for those who have heard this message that they'd be able to enter the rest. And Lord, I pray specifically for the unbelievers who are hearing this message who cannot enter the rest because they haven't yet received Jesus in their lives. Father, I pray that this day they would pray, Lord, forgive me. Lord, come into my life. Come into my life. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, I pray that you would work this into our hearts, that we would trust you. And if we feel ourselves drifting from you, that we would quickly remedy that by fasting, by praying, by spending extra concerted time in you and in prayer to see that God is good, His ways are right because our own hearts are wicked. Our hearts are wicked, unbelieving hearts. Father, let us walk in faith as Joseph did to hold on to your word. Blessed be your name. Your word is so good, righteous and holy in every way. And Jesus walks at our side He carries the heavier end of the cross. He always takes the bleak side of the hill. He's always there with us. If there's anything good, anything righteous, anything holy, anything kind, anything gracious, it is embodied in Jesus Christ. The gift of God, the gifts from heaven above have come embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be your name. Glory be to Jesus, the Son of God, who lives forever and ever, seated at the right hand of God. Blessed be Jesus, blessed be Jesus, blessed be his name forever and ever. Thank you, Lord God. Amen.